This is Matt Mansfield. Thanks for joining the Points in the Paint podcast. New episodes are published weekly and can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to WCYJ-FM, your home for everything Waynesburg. I'm Matt Mansfield alongside Ed DiOrio. We have another great episode of Points in the Paint coming your way for the next hour. We've got a lot to cover in the world of basketball. You've had some pretty interesting games this past weekend. The Lakers officially knocked out the Rockets and ended the Mike D'Antoni, James Harden era. And that's about the way you'd expect it to end a second round loss to a team that was just flat out better than them. And then you've got the Clippers having that 3-1 lead. The Nuggets have closed the gap. They are now in a 3-3 series headed to game seven. Had it coming up this week. So Ed, uh, I guess we'll start with a bigger story. Probably going to start with this Clippers Nuggets series. You got a Game Seven trip to the Western Conference Finals on the line. What were your takeaways from Game Six? I know that it was hard to watch with NFL premiering yesterday, first week of the season. But what did, what did you, uh, from what you watched, from what you read, what were your takeaways from what happened with this Clippers team? I'll be honest, I'm a pretty big NBA fan. I'd like to consider myself one, but I hadn't completely forgotten about the fact that there was just a game six in a in a semifinal of a of a conference going on between the Clippers and the Nuggets because I was watching NFL football but when I looked at my phone and got a buzz and I figured it was just something about the NFL or my fantasy team I look and it says Clippers or Nuggets force game seven I said wait what so I had to look into it more and I said yeah I remembered it was a game six but I just kind of figured the Clippers were gonna we're gonna close it out and Here we are, and the old adage in sports, one of the oldest sayings in the book when it comes to professional sports, especially basketball, anything can happen in Game 7. So Mm -hmm. all the Clippers' hype, depth, talent, coaching kind of goes out the window because all it takes is one game for Jamal Murray to have 40 or Jokic to do what he did last night again or Paul Millsap to come out of retirement, seemingly. He didn't retire, but, like, where has he been this series other than one game? If he does that again, that could really cause the Clippers some issues. And if Paul George continues to feel like he's in Disneyland instead of the NBA, then I think we're going to see a Western Conference final that I don't think anybody was either expecting or figured could really happen realistically. And here's the thing. Yeah, I I was very I was surprised. But here's the thing about the Clippers is there is so much hype about them. But this team has continued to they've blown leads. I mean, last series, they've got the Mavericks. and I know that they 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 beat them in six. I think the Mavericks are better. The Mavericks are better than I think the four, five. Yeah, both the, the four no, and I the agree. five. I agree. The season. Mavericks were a very good team, and their offense was an all-time great in terms of efficiency. But this Clippers team, I feel like they've kind of let teams hang around them a little too long. They're not trying to close out the series. I think that they oh, don't. Oh, they play down. They, they play haven't down to their played, town, absolutely. They haven't played with focus, it seems. And yesterday, you get Paul George puts up 33, Kawhi Leonard puts up 25, and then this bench that everyone talks about, all I hear is this Clippers bench is special. It's going to win them series. Here it is. The rest of their starters, uh, Morris with five. Beverly gets two. He fouled out in 18 minutes yesterday. Zubok with two. Lou Williams, not bad with 14. But Harrell, again, five points out of him. It's just been a rough series for these guys. And I think that all, all that people talk about is this Clipper, this Clippers. They've got Kawhi and Paul George are two elite players. You've got this bench with this dog mentality. They're going to go out there, and they don't care what happens. It's like, does it matter what the mentality of your bench is when Patrick Beverly, this feared player, fouls out and Harrell can't handle Jokic? It just doesn't seem like it matters at this point. Well, here's the hard thing, is that this has been one of the hardest matchups, I think, for the Clippers in their entirety as a team this year. Because, think about it, Harrell is matched up bench on bench, if theoretically more times than not, he's matched up against Mason Plumley, right? Mason Plumley's not a bad player. He's not a bad center, at least defensively. Plus, Harrell's undersized, Plumley's seven foot, and athletic as can be. So that's a hard matchup for Harrell. That kind of takes him out of the equation. Off the bench for the Nuggets, uh, Monte Morris is a really good point guard off the bench for them. He kind of cancels out Lou Williams, and then from there, it's kind of a crapshoot as to whose bench is going to outscore the other. So that's what's kept Denver in this series, if you ask me. So uh, it's a combination of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard at times not really showing up. And then, that, like you said, that Clippers bench kind of being null and void because the Denver bench kind of matches up pretty well, I'd say. 
my thing with this entire Clippers team is all year, I think what we've heard is this Clippers team is they are built for a championship, and I'm fine with that because I do think this Clippers team, they make it out of Game 7. I think they'll win Game 7. I just have more faith in the Clippers players than I do this Nuggets team, and I think they're going to it'll be a great series versus the Lakers. I think you get a Clippers-Lakers, and it's going to be an intense series, but people crown them champions so early, and I just don't like the excuses that the Clippers get because here's the thing. The Lakers, round one, they played Portland, and, I, and I'm fine with saying what you want about these teams that the Lakers played. People said, Portland is one of the greatest eight seeds of all time. They match up great with the Lakers. And then out of nowhere, the Lakers win four straight, knock them out, and people say, oh, well, Portland was an eight seed. They're not that good. Second round, you say, oh my goodness, the Rockets, they are a matchup nightmare with the way they can shoot. The, the Lakers dispose of them in five again, and people are like, well, yeah, the, the D'Antoni Harden arrow, everyone knew they weren't going to win a playoff series. So I think it's a very after-the-fact. People are willing to say the Lakers did what they were supposed to do, but the Clippers, whenever they're down to this Nuggets team, or whenever they're people didn't say anything about the Mavericks before the series, and people were like, oh, yeah, but here's the excuse. Luka's the next all-time great, or the Nuggets match up well with them, which they do, but I love the way that the one LA team gets all the excuses in the world, and the other one, regardless of what they do, how they've gotten rid of teams in five in the first two rounds and looked like the best team in the league, they don't get excuses. They get People say that they didn't do enough because they beat the Rockets and the Trailblazers in five, and then people start to say that their opponents weren't that good rather than praising what the Lakers have done. No, I agree with that, and that's obviously the LeBron haters will come out. And as much as me and you have gone back and forth in our separate arguments off air, I'm not a LeBron hater. I'm not. I really am not. I just think one different opinion about him than a few people. But and I wouldn't, and I wasn't going to go as far as to say Portland was the best eight seed, one of the best eight seeds ever. But I did hear that take from. A, oh, I did too. Oh, NBA I did too. Twitter was and it, and it was it. a hard matchup because Portland's guard play was really, really good, and the Lakers don't have really good guards. So that I mean, it's it's a hard matchup there, and obviously after game one that was worth saying. But like you said, both series they took care of both those teams in five, and I said this on the show last week. The Rockets are hey, if we shoot forty five percent from three, four out of seven times, we're going to win any series. So they're not just a matchup nightmare for the Lakers. They're a matchup nightmare for anybody mm-hmm. if they get going. It's not even – and that's why D'Antoni lost his job because D'Antoni, wherever he's gone, has underachieved. Name me one time where he has overachieved in the job that he was put in with the talent combined. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. he, he just hasn't done it. So it, this is not a Harden thing. As much as I hate him, this isn't even a Westbrook thing. This is – this was 100% a Mike D'Antoni fault because the coaching was just not good. He was okay with having P.J. Tucker as his starting center. Not just that, not off the bench, as his six foot six starting center. Yeah, no, I like here, and I agree. I think that D'Antoni was the, the reason the center the position has deteriorated in as far as uh, importance in the NBA when it comes to winning nowadays. But you still have to have a half decent center to be in. And here's the thing: to be in the, race. the position has evolved. You get a center like Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns. These guys can now shoot. It's just a different position than it used to be. Jokic. It has deteriorated, but it's a very different position. And these guys need to be more skilled. And I don't know if D'Antoni took that into consideration. But again, like my thing is, the Lakers can take care of business, and all you hear is criticism, criticism, criticism. And the Clippers, if they fail to do so, it's just. And my biggest pet peeve is going to be this: if the Nuggets end up winning Game Seven. You, I think almost everyone can agree that people are going to, and say the Lakers win that series in five, go to the championship. People are going to say, oh, well, the Lakers eased their way out of facing the Clippers. They didn't even have to face the Clippers. They had an easy road. Rather than blaming the Clippers for losing, people would blame LeBron for getting to the finals because he didn't have to face a team that people thought was In a series he couldn't control. Right. I agree with you. I think that's going to be one of the worst things in the world. And if they're not saying that, they're going to, and if they're not saying that, they're going to say, Oh, well, this is the bubble year. They'll come back strong next year. Oh, exactly. They didn't, they didn't have home court. They didn't have all that. Like That's my thing is I, I like Kawhi Leonard as a player a lot. I'm a, like, I do enjoy watching him play, but it's gotten so bad for me that people use Kawhi Leonard only as far as they can to tear down LeBron's legacy. And that's my biggest problem with the Clippers team right now is people talk about them just in terms of the way they can negatively impact LeBron's legacy. And I just can't stand it. It's just appreciate Kawhi for what he is. He is nowhere near prime LeBron James. Nobody in the NBA right now. LeBron is one of the two greatest players ever in basketball. Why do people have to compare a guy like Kawhi to LeBron when he's not at that level? And that's fine. The only reason they do is because the closest thing you saw to that was last year in the postseason in the finals from Kawhi. You saw that he was just going absolutely berserk 
and and playing like something something reminiscent of a prime LeBron James, like Miami LeBron James. Yeah, no, he looked that, very good. Correct. So that was so people honestly, when they see it once out of a player who is in his late twenties to early thirties, you're gonna naturally assume that it's his mm-hmm. prime, quote unquote. So you expect more out of him. Plus, the Clippers are the two seeds. So you expect him to do that. So when he doesn't, it really is a hard pill to swallow for most fans to say they're wrong. Me being one of them. I've been wrong before, and it's a hard pill to swallow, but it is true. So my question to you is, who wins Game 7? My thing with, it, my thing with this Nuggets-Clippers series is I, I don't— I don't know about the Nuggets yet. I need them to prove it to me before, because I could see them winning this. But if I'm going to go based on what I think will happen, I know what I can get out of Kawhi in a Game Seven. You've seen Paul George perform, and I've seen this. I think this team. We've seen them be better throughout the season than the Nuggets. So I'm going to pick the Clippers to win this. I think they'll win, and a lot of that is that because again, I think Kawhi Leonard is a phenomenal player, and I know what we get out of Kawhi Leonard in crunch time. He's a very clutch player as well. So I think the Clippers win this, but I would not be shocked if the Nuggets came back from 3-1 to one again and got the series win. It, you're right. It's a bunch of unproven commodities coming out of the Denver Nuggets lineup, both starting and bench. Jamal Murray's got to show up again, or Jokic has to show up again. And not that these guys aren't superstars or already superstars in the making. It's that they are very young. They're inexperienced. They've never been this far in the... Well, no. I take that back. They... They've only made it this far last year. And obviously this has been a year unlike any other, and they played Portland. Or did they did they play Golden State last year in the playoffs? Uh, they lost, The Nuggets lost to Portland. I thought they lost to Portland. Yeah, yeah I thought so. Okay. So they and lost Portland to, blew that series to Golden correct, State. Correct, correct. So, so Denver has only made it this far last year. And obviously you have a year of development with Jamal Murray and Jokic both, and then Michael Porter Jr. has joined the lineup this year, and he's helped a good bit. But they're just very young. And I think Doc Rivers will get his team hyped up and get them, you know, say, hey, get your head out of you-know-what and let's go win this Game 7 and let's let's do what we're supposed to do. I do think there was an element of sleepwalking past these teams. I think the Clippers had the idea of, hey, we got to – hey, we got this. We're going to have an easy path. Denver's young. Mavericks are young. We're experienced. We got talent. We have more talent than both those teams. We're going to be fine. And now look where they are. So I think they're going to realize that tonight or tomorrow, excuse me. And I think you're going to see that Clippers-Lakers series. But, man, did it become complicated to where we got to. But if Denver goes off on Game 7 and ends up getting into that series. They've earned it. Oh, they certainly earned it. They certainly made it farther than I think a lot of people gave them credit for. And that's some, that's a, also a very good coaching job by the Nuggets. But also the thing is, is that. I think that's an easy five-game series for LeBron as well because who? Because you can at least say that Jokic could maybe cancel out what Davis will do. Who but we know he- Davis who is the a he- better player. Yeah, 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 but but Jokic has also shown that he can put up stats similar to Anthony Davis yeah. at times. So you can say he can maybe cancel out Davis at times. Who the heck's going to cancel out LeBron James? Nobody. Nobody. So it's it's not – at least with Kawhi and Paul George, you can say that those two guys could – on any given night, cancel out LeBron and Davis, and then it comes down to the bench and the role players outside of that, which then gives the Clippers the advantage. So I don't, I just want to see that series happen because we've seen a lot of great lip, Lippers, Clakers, huh? Clippers, Lakers games in the regular season. So I think it would be a spectacular series, but we got to get there first. And Denver's saying not so fast. Exactly. And let's jump over now to, you mentioned Anthony Davis, LeBron. Let's jump over to what happened there. They, you know, lose game one to the to the Rockets. Then they go four straight wins, uh, took care of business. They advanced almost to the did lose Conference game Finals. two. They, they did. Yeah, did. It was close. Game. But here, here's my thing is I'm so torn about James Harden because I think that people give him a little bit too much crap at times because he's one of the greatest scorers this game has ever seen. He is phenomenal. But like, he had put up 30 points in game five in that loss. But whenever you watch him play, sometimes it just feels like he can put up 30, but it feels like he's not doing it with any intensity. It just feels like he's, he's like, just putting up shots just to put up it, shots. It, it, could, it could feel like a Wednesday night in mid-October as opposed to an elimination game in the playoffs at times. And he, he shoots. And I mean, like, and again, he has games where he'll go two of 11 shooting and still put up over 20 points. And, and that's not a bad total in terms of points. But the way he gets there sometimes, and I mean, if you score points, you score points. You can't really criticize it too much. But you can say the way you get there 
if you're 2 of 11 shooting and you're just drawing fouls and everything, that's very different than than the way that some people are scoring their points. If you put James Harden on a team like Golden State, if you put James Harden on a team like even Oklahoma City or um, or even the Lakers I could make the argument for, I think because he was in Houston, and he's been in Houston for so long, he's always been the main guy there ever since he got there and was traded there. But the thing is is that his efficiency has never been the main concern with James Harden. Nobody ever looks at his efficiency, and nobody really ever cares about his efficiency. They see how much he scores. They see, like you say, he could shoot like crap, but if he gets 20 free throws, that's how he gets there. You know, like it's, it's a matter of – I thought it was a matter of coaching all along. I thought Mike D'Antoni brought him down as a player. And everybody talks about D'Antoni as an offensive guru, and guess what? He got the Rockets to where they got to in the first place. I know he's gone now, but still, he got him in the second round. I mean, a lot of teams would, would, would kill for that. But James, when you have James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and like you said, James Harden might be the best scorer, pure scorer in the NBA today. Might be. It's an argument you can make. Oh, yeah. But I think D'Antoni deteriorated, deteriorated that. He, he didn't take full advantage of that, and he didn't make an offense that was fit around James Harden. He made it around three-point shooting, like a generic thing. Yeah. James Harden was the main cog in it, but it wasn't the offense didn't run through him at times. I mean that's it was oftentimes Harden would just bring it up and do whatever he want with it. And Russ and Russell Westbrook would do the same thing. Or Eric Gordon would get a pick and roll. Like it, there didn't the offense never seemed to run through anybody. It would just be a matter of, all right, who wants to shoot the three this time? Hit it. Hit it. Uh oh, brick. Rebound. You pass out. You, Eddie House, whoever, hit it. Like it, it, there was never a, a sense of offensive urgency or offensive fluidity through James Harden, and that's the issue. No, and I, I agree. I think that D'Antoni, I, I respect what he does because he gets he puts together winning teams. The teams that he coaches make the playoffs and stuff, and that's half of the battle is you got to be in the dance if you're going to win it. And he gets them there, but he's never going to get you over the hump, it doesn't seem. And I, I feel bad because I think a lot of James Harden's critics have this stigma about him that he's not a team guy. And I, I think some of it is very unfair to Harden. I think that he's a little bit underappreciated. I think we're going to look back 20 years from now and say, wow, we did not give the guy the credit that he deserved. But I do think at times you can watch Harden play and you're like, yeah, like it just doesn't seem like he's all there. Like you wish that he would almost have that Westbrook mentality where you watch Westbrook play, love him, hate him. You know that Westbrook leaves everything on the court every single night. Oh, he goes night. 110 miles an hour and no matter where he is. And I like to watch him play because he cares so much. And sometimes you just get the vibe that Harden is just playing to play. And I think that's the biggest problem with Harden. And I do think he has an unfair stigma around him. But I really think that the demise of the Rockets was just a lot of unique pieces that they tried to fit together that just in the grand scheme of things didn't work. Chris Paul, James Harden, they butted heads a little bit too much. Mike D'Antoni wanted to run a system that does not win in the playoffs. It's been proven. And then you get Westbrook and Harden with their clashing styles, the inefficiency of Russell Westbrook trying to fit into a team that is all about scoring efficiency. I think you just had a lot of talented pieces that you tried to put together like a puzzle, but they, they did not fit together. And that's that's what happened with the Rockets. In this era, it's going to be a memorable basketball team for us. I know we'll look back and say, man, those Rockets teams, they were something to watch. But in the grand scheme of things, they didn't get anything out of it. And that's that's the sad thing about sports is there's always those teams that you remember for years that you're like, wow, they were talented, but did they ever get anything out of it? And that's what happened with the Rockets. They were officially a team that the D'Antoni era was fun. There was a lot of hype. But in the grand scheme of things, nothing came of it. Yeah. I mean, nothing ever matters if you don't win it. And that's all that matters. And and that's what I said is that you won't remember Harden for how great he was or great he still is if he stays in Houston. And it's not even a, a knock on the Houston Rockets is like, oh, he needs to go to one of those blue blood teams like the Lakers or the Celtics or, or whoever, you know, or even like a big market team like the Hawks or Miami or whoever, like it doesn't matter. That's not what matters. What matters is if you put together a winning team, right? Like the Dallas Mavericks, when they won it with Dirk against Miami's first LeBron team, I should say LeBron's first Miami team, but honestly, that is an interchangeable statement. (laughs) People remember that Dallas team because they had a really, really great all time, great player and they were able to win the finals as a team. And, And it wasn't a surprising fashion. People say, but 
people remember it because they won. So I feel like Harden, in a sense, could be eking towards that same conversation of everybody knows how good this guy is, but when is he going to get his? Is he going to get his due? And I think if Harden, I think Harden might realize, and, he, and if he's going to, he's got to realize it soon. I think he's got to get out of Houston if he wants to win a ring. Yeah, and because I mean who is going to want to come to Houston? Yeah, in the state of flux that they're in, it, it's a very and Harden is such a unique player. The style of play, Wes, who he is, it's good. It's such a weird situation. Like it's not as simple it, as Anthony Davis going somewhere and his team automatically being a one seed. Yeah, exactly. Because it's, Anthony Davis is just an all-time great big. He's not a complex big. He just he has all facets of the game, and he's great. Harden does play a very particular and odd style. And that's not to say it couldn't be coached down and maybe altered a little bit. But he, you know, something, when a player's played that way for so long, he's not going to change much. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with, with this Rockets team. Where do they go from here? And I think there's a lot of questions, but let's jump right into the next question for where do the Rockets go from here? Who do they hire as a head coach to replace D'Antoni? There's a lot of... I mean, there's a lot for them to look at uh, in terms of options for coaching right now. I know Billy Donovan, he's gone. Just coached Westbrook recently. He has a history with some of these guys. There's a lot of guys. Nate McMillan from the Pacers, he's now looking for a new job. Tyron Luce still looking for something. Where? What direction would you move in? You don't even have to give a name. Just a style or what type of a coach would you want if you're going to try and keep Westbrook and Harden together? The, I mean, they, I feel like they need a big. You need a big. But the thing is, is that you need a big who would complement the style that both of those guys play. See, to me, a big three works like this. You need the three elements. You need outside scoring and outside shooting, inside presence and inside scoring, and then a slasher dash, someone in between there, someone to Mm complement them both when either one's not going, right? A guy like that, a center like that, or even a power forward, the ones that come to mind to me that could do that a guy like Joel Embiid mm-hmm. even even this Nikola Vucevic in Orlando I think could be a really good ad um, I'd say Carl Anthony Towns but I don't think they're going to get rid of him but if Houston's going to try to keep this together somehow with a new head coach and maybe keep this team that is maybe one piece away Harden did say that come out and say that he thinks the Rockets are a piece away so what that means I don't know is he going to recruit? Maybe, but he's got to at least start thinking about, hey, for my career and my legacy, do I want to stay in Houston and try to win it there and be a faithful guy and be, and I've been here for, you know, what will end up being 10 years plus, argued possibly. You know, it's, he's got a, there's that line or you can take the line of that a lot of guys are doing and that's, I should go somewhere to find my ring. It's for James Harden. I think finding the ring is going to be that. I think that's the only thing that ties his legacy together at this point. Is if he he gets that ring, it's you can definitely talk about him in a very different way. Because I think I think James. Harden, oh, you could a lot call people, him the best shooting guard of the 2010s. You, people will say I think James Harden. Dwayne you could. Wade I'm not is a closer debate than people think it is. If James Harden gets a ring, people would definitely start to put him ahead of Dwayne Wade on a regular basis. I think you'd see a lot more of those takes. And I, I know you're shaking your head a little bit, but there's a legitimately good case I'm not, for I'm not saying to be better, for sure. And I, if he got that ring, I think, at least in my eyes, that 100% certifies him as the better shooting guard to me than Dwayne Wade. But I think that's such an interesting conversation. I know that's for another day. We could even do that at some point on the show. But James Harden needs a ring to kind of tie all this legacy together and move him into that conversation where he'll get recognized for what he truly is. Oh, for sure. And Harden... You know, he'll almost, and, and he's not going to be as big a stature as this, and obviously it's crossing over sports. If he doesn't get a ring, and there have been, I mean, Charles Barkley, I think, is the closest thing in the NBA right now you could say to Dan Marino as far as how good a player was that never got to win a ring. You know, I can't think of anybody else who hasn't, right, as far as that big a stature. Yeah, most most guys that have that type of stature and that, you know, that ability have won rings yeah. in all sports. So Harden would be, I think, the next in line behind Barkley even. But Harden, I think, with a ring, is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Now basketball, I mean, I could maybe send in my stats from high school and my 
points per game as far as minutes played. You know, six six points in ten minutes played, I think, was the actual total. I think we totaled it up one day. I mean, that's pretty efficient scoring on my end when I played <laughs> basketball in high school. You know, I mean, ten minutes is ten minutes, but still, I made the most of it. But anyway, like, so if I sent that into the Basketball Hall of Fame, I think I might get in. But still, I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer if he gets that ring to cap off what's been a an, a really just an an unreal career that I don't think any of us were expecting when he was short bearded sixth man of the year in OKC. No, absolutely not. It's a uh, Harden's legacy is always going to be one of the most unique in NBA history. We're going to take a quick break. Whenever we come back, we have a lot to talk about. Giannis Antetokounmpo went on an Instagram purge of who he was following, and we have the Eastern Conference Finals matchup set. So we're going to preview that right here on Points in the Paint on 99.5 The Hive, your home for everything Waynesburg. Monday nights at 10, turn up the radio and lay back with someone you love and tune in to the Love Lounge. I, Antonio Palullo, will play the greatest love songs of all time but you and that special someone in a special mood. From the street corners of the 1950s to Daniel Caesar, the Love Lounge plays it all. Dim the lights, light a candle, cuddle up with someone you love and tune in to the Love Lounge Monday nights at 10, only on WCYJ. Welcome back to Points in the Paint. I'm Matt Mansfield alongside Ed DiOrio talking a little bit of NBA. We've got the Eastern Conference Finals. That matchup is set. Ed's beloved Boston Celtics are going to be taking on the Miami Heat. And this is a unique circumstance. The Heat, uh, that's someone I don't think a lot of people saw coming coming out of the uh, into the bubble, I guess. You didn't think the Heat would be able to make that run to the Eastern Conference Finals. I knew they were good. I didn't know if they were good enough to make it this far, but here they are, and they have a legitimate shot to make the finals for the first time since LeBron James was in the Heat uniform. And as a Celtics fan, I am scared, uh, legitimately, because I think that while Giannis would have been unstoppable from the Celtics end, they didn't have anybody that could guard him. Who does? Um, but apparently Miami did. They had, I mean, they threw body after body after body at Giannis, and he couldn't adjust. They threw Bam out of bio at him for a few series. Then Jimmy Butler would man him up. And then Jay Crowder would give it a try. You know, like it was, it was, they had multiple bodies to throw at him, which presented different defensive abilities. So Giannis didn't know how to respond, and it showed. So the biggest thing for me is the biggest matchup is going to be which scores are going to show up, right? So Boston has three guys who can legitimately score the basketball. So here, let me, let me hear your take. Because I want to, I want to try to keep my bias as far out as I can. Uh, I'm definitely intrigued by this matchup. I think the biggest question for me is who's going to be the best player on the court. Uh, you've got Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum. I know a lot of people are really high on Tatum. I haven't seen quite enough from him yet for me to be able to say, hey, I think Tatum's going to be the best player in a, in an Eastern Conference Final series. But again, y- you could get that out of him. I think Kemba Walker's been a little bit up and down since his return to the court, so I'm not sure what you're going to get out of him. And Jalen Brown is, I think he's more of a sidekick than the leader of the team. So I think a lot of what you're going to get out of this Boston team is, is is Jason Tatum going to be the best player in the series? Or is Jimmy Butler on the Heat side of this? Is he going to be the best player? And I'm very excited to see what Jimmy Butler does because the, the Heat team is so smart, I think. Like, you've got Spolstra knew how to stop Giannis. He built a wall on the inside. He said, we're going to have three guys guarding the inside pretty much if you look at the way they were for the defense was formed Giannis could not drive inside because there was too many guys around him Giannis anytime he wanted to go inside he was incapable of doing so because the heat knew exactly how to stop him so the problem there was Giannis couldn't get in yeah he was scoring like 20 a game but it wasn't what you would expect out of your MVP defensive player of the year so boom Giannis was eliminated and then what you got from there was the Bucks were just they were done. Chris Middleton was fine. He was nothing great. They, their shooters weren't spectacular enough. And I think that was the problem is the Heat knew how to stop Giannis. And once Giannis got stopped, there was nobody else on the Bucks that could step up. So I think a lot of this is going to be, 
Are the Heat going to be able to shoot well enough? Is, like, what's the Heat shooting going to be? Is Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero going to step up? Or is Jimmy Butler going to be able to play phenomenal this series again for the third series in a row? Is he going to be able to be the best player on the court for the entirety of a series? Five, six, seven games potentially? Or is Jason Tatum going to establish himself as a superstar and take the, the Celtics franchise all the way to the NBA Finals? I think that's really what you're going to have to get yourself into to figure out who's going to be going to the to the finals to face off against what I think will be the Lakers but could be the Clippers or Nuggets still at this point. So going to be very, very interesting to see who's able to step up for this Heat team. We're going to take another quick break. We'll be back here, 99.5 The Hive, your home for everything Waynesburg. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's kind of like an elephant is on my chest. I feel like I'm choking. Sometimes my parents have to take me to the hospital. You know how to react to their asthma attacks. Here's how to prevent them. Visit www.noattacks.org or call your doctor. Because even one attack is one too many. I feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. Quick break there. We have Ed Diorio had to step out for a little phone call. He'll be back here in a second. But as I was saying, you got this Celtics heat matchup. Uh, two historically great franchises. And I do think that you're going to see quite the, quite the coaching battle, honestly. Spolstra, as I mentioned, knew exactly how to shut down Giannis. He knows what he's doing. He's an experienced coach. I think he's one of the best in the NBA for sure. Probably a top five coach in the NBA. You could put him as high as you want, and I can see your point there. And then Brad Stevens has been coaching the Celtics up the last few years. You get an Eastern Conference Finals appearance, uh, Eastern Conference Semifinals last year, and then Eastern Conference Finals again this year. So the Jason Tatum... The Jason Tatum pick at three overall was phenomenal for the Celtics franchise, and now you've got the Celtics back here in the Eastern Conference Finals for the second time in the Tatum era. But, Ed, I know you just stepped out for a little phone call. Uh, welcome back. I was just saying that my thoughts on this series, I think it's going to be a lot about the coaching battle with Stevens and Spolster. I think those are two of the top five coaches in the NBA. So you've got the coaching battle is going to be awesome, and I think the main question is who's the best player in this series? Is Jason Tatum or Jimmy Butler? Which one of them is going to be the best player on the court for four, five, six, or seven games? That's a tough question because Jimmy Butler's the more proven player, but, man, have they been putting up similar stats. If not, Jason Tatum has been a little bit better, you could argue, as an all-around player in the, in the bubble. So that's a hard question. Um, but the biggest thing is that I know those two are going to show up, right? It's, it's what I've been saying about the other series. It's about everybody else. You know those superstars are going to show up. And before I had to take that call, sorry about stepping out. We had a good old alumni of ours, Mr. Nick Farrell, just gave me a call and helping us out with some with a project of mine. So I'm excited about that. But anyway, um, we got to finish points in the paint first. So what I was saying was was that Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker can theoretically can Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic or Tyler Hero match up to what those two are probably going to put out and the way Marcus Smart's been playing for Boston. But here's the thing. Heat, the Heat scare me as a Celtics fan. You know why? The Heat are the more complete team than Boston. And here, let me tell you why. Boston has a lot of scorers. And they have a lot of they have they don't have much size, but neither do the Heat. The Heat don't have much size either. They have Kelly Olynyk and Bam Adebayo and that's about it. Right? I'd say. So what the Heat have that the Celtics don't are pure shooters. They have Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. Those guys are shooters. The Celtics don't have any of those. So if none of their scorers can get going, it's a struggle. And you saw that in the Toronto series at times. So depending on what the Celtics can do on a consistent basis, that'll determine who wins this series. Because it, So what I'm saying is it all rides on Boston, right? The Heat are going to play their game. The Heat are going to be the Heat. The Heat are going to have Jimmy Butler leading the way with either Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero adding in 20, 18 to 20-plus points because they can shoot the ball. Bam Adebayo will get his 10-plus rebounds and maybe contribute 15 to 20 points. Then from there, it's a crapshoot. We don't know what's going to happen. So, And you're right. Coaching could be all the difference, too. But these are two of the best coaches, arguably the two best coaches in the East. I know Nick Nurse might have something to say about that, but... Eric Spolster has been underrated in his career for the almost the entirety of it because everybody looks back to the LeBron years and say, well, you had LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. Kind of hard not to win. Well, people will diss on him because they only won two out of the four years. And they lost to a really good Mavericks team 
and a really good Spurs team. And those coaches were Greg Popovich and, uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, Dallas's coach. It, oh, a brain fart. What's his name? I think you just passed this on to me because I'm, I'm, I'm stumbling here as well, but... I know, but let's. Uh, we know who you're talking about. Well, yeah, we. You know who I'm this talking is... about. I, I I have to look that up because I feel stupid as an NBA fan not knowing his, what his name is off the top of my head. Um, but anyway, it's really a shame that I have to look this up. But what I'm saying is, is that the coaching might cancel each other out too. So it's all going to come down to the benches and who can shoot the ball better. That's what won the Toronto Rick Carlisle. There we go. Rick Carlisle. Yes. So. That's not, that's not a diss or that's not a dig at Eric Spolster at all to lose those two finals to those two coaches as well. So my thing is is that I think this is going to be a six to seven game series because I think there are going to be those games where Miami will light up the scoreboard because both Hero and Duncan Robinson can get going both, and then Boston will struggle maybe to keep up. You know their shooters they don't have any. Name me one pure shooter on Boston's team. Yeah, no, I think Boston, there, there isn't the one. Heat, I wouldn't call Kemba a pure shooter. No, I the Heat definitely have the shooting advantage, and I it's just gonna. I think it's all gonna depend on again. I think Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, which one is gonna be the the more of the alpha male? I guess which one's gonna step up and be better? And this series also has so many implications on legacies. Like, I think you have to take it take into account the fact that for a guy like Jason Tatum this year if he makes it to the NBA finals as the best player on the Celtics not just any franchise the Celtics i think that elevates Jason Tatum into that superstar status i think a lot of people are going to start to be he's going to start to get talked about very very highly amongst NBA circles and then you've got Jimmy Butler if he takes the five seeded heat to the NBA oh, yeah. finals this year Jimmy After Butler what happened in Philadelphia himself. exactly Philadelphia fell apart this year and for Jimmy Butler to go from there where they fall apart to leading a team to a the lot finals, of people blamed, it's going to be insane. A lot of people blamed Philadelphia falling apart on him for no, when he was there for not even a full year. Oh, yeah. And, they got, Butler got, and Jimmy Butler got them as close as they've ever gotten to a conference final. They were one shot away from being in a conference final with Jimmy Butler, right? Yeah. So, so that absolutely was not Jimmy Butler's fault whatsoever. So Jimmy Butler, I agree with you. This is going to make a superstar resume out of someone. Who it is, I don't know. And I think a lot of people, including myself, I looked at Tatum and I said, okay, he's a star right now. Next season, if he improves even a little bit more, then then he's a superstar. And then it's about chasing that ring for him. Yeah. But he might get there sooner than we think. I, and I tell you what, the Celtics have a better chance, I think, against the Lakers than they do against the Clippers. Because the Lakers, to me... From what we saw in those two games against Houston and Portland where they've lost, if the wrong guys take the shots, then a team like Boston, with the scorers they have, could easily get out to a run and go. And and it's the best coach team out of the East, I think. I think Brad Stevens is the best coach in the best coach in the Eastern Conference. My only argument there is we've seen the Clippers blow big leads the last two games against this is the Nuggets true. and close out series. So, so it makes me feel better. If there's a team that's going to go on a run. It makes me feel better as a Celtics fan if the Clippers get there. I think the Celtics would be a very intriguing matchup for the finals. Here's my only problem with if the Celtics make it, and this is definitely more my personal sports agenda because I know all of us is, uh, as we consider, so we're, we're all sports analysts and we all have the guys we prefer. We, we have the guys that we prefer. And I I would say that Luka Doncic is going to take a lot of heat from Jason Tatum. People are going to start to say that he's better than Doncic. And I think that's going to be a big problem for me because you know that they'll yeah. say, well, he made the finals, Doncic didn't. And then people are going to, then the Luka slander is going to start. If and I'm Luka was on the Celtics, it. I think the Celtics could be a finals favorite. Would you agree with that? Let's put Luka Doncic in Jason Tatum's shoes on the Celtics team where he has Jalen Brown, Kemba, Kemba Walker. Daniel Tice has emerged as an actually very good defensive center. You know, do you, if you put Luka in Chase and Tatum's spot, how far do the Celtics make it any further or less? The Celt, like, I don't know, man. I'm just so sold on the idea of Luka Doncic and the potential he has. I, I, I would probably say I've got the Celtics being better because here's the thing: you've still seen Jason Tatum is he's been good in this playoffs, but he's laid some eggs a couple of times. He's had some games where you're like, all right, that's mm. not superstar status. That's, that's good, well, not that's, great player right there. Well, he's still in his, he's in his 
third the, year. Oh, yeah, you know, I know. It's, and it's, I, I think that's fair because the development process, a, I think we've expedited expedited the process to saying, well, Luca does this all the time. If you're not this good not by fair, year yeah. two, you're not going to be a superstar. And that's so unfair because Jason Tatum's going to be a superstar and he's in year th- he's t- nearing the end of year three. Luka Doncic is going to be an all-time great, and that's why he looks as good as he does early on in his career. Trey Young has a lot of comparisons to Steph Curry. He's on a bad team, but he's only two years in as well. It's just a matter of people have such high – and the NFL, you see it too. Rookies and second-year players are winning MVPs. Yeah. So in sports in general, if you're not at a superstar level by your second year, people automatically kind of write you off, which is very unfair. But my, my here's my thing is I like to give guys time to develop. I think you can kind of tell pretty early on where they're going to be, but I like to give you time to develop. But if once you get start, once they start talking about you in the stratosphere of top five player in the league, top ten player in the league, regardless of what age you are, I think it gives everyone the right to look at you and say, "All right, if you're supposedly a top ten player in the league, you need to, you can't do this and this anymore. I don't care about your age because if you are the guy that people say you are, you shouldn't make some of these mistakes or a few of the things that they do wrong." I think you have to change the level of critique for them. Because if there's a second-year guy that people don't talk about much, I think it's fair to say, all right, he made mistakes, but I expect that out of him. But if there's a a third-year guy like Jason Tatum where people are already starting to say, yeah, like this guy is better than... Uh, I'm not going to say that people have said it, but I'll just throw out names. I'll say, oh, he's better than Damian Lillard, Anthony Davis. I would take him over him and him. Then I start to say, all right, now I can critique you like I would a 10-year veteran if you're going to start to get talked about in that level. So I think that's the only difference that I have with Jason Tatum than you is, yes, he's young, but once you get elevated into the conversation with some of these great players in the league, you do deserve to get talked about the same way. He wouldn't be in that conversation if they weren't in the Eastern Conference Finals and I'd say a favorite to win it. Oh, yeah, I think they're so, a favorite so, too. So it takes that credit to get there first, and I agree with you. You're going to get into that. I, if I don't see an improvement from Jason Tatum next year, maybe he like flatlines and does the same thing, which has been pretty, pretty good. Oh, that's still an awesome season. But superstars get into that 26 to 29, 8 rebounds to 10 rebounds, and then 6 to 7 to 8 assists. That's the, that's the baseline to being a superstar championship tier one level player to where if you go somewhere your team's automatically a championship contender and I think Jason Tatum's going to be a Celtic I don't know if I can't say that because it's so hard to see a guy say oh he's going to be a like if you look at Luka you can't say he's going to be a maverick for life that's so hard in sports now to say a player's going to stay with one team now so that's hard to say for Jason Tatum's end but I think Jason Tatum could get into that conversation to where if he goes somewhere, he could be looked at as a number one player that could get make a difference in that franchise's, however that team is put together before he gets there, making a final. Oh, for sure. Here's a, oh, one more fact, though. I think I'm rooting for the Heat a little bit right now to make the finals. I think I'd rather see the Heat. Uh, one, interesting, one interesting fact here that I have for you is, so the Golden State Warriors, how many finals have they made in a row now? Four or five before it this was, year, obviously. It was five. It was five in a row. Andre Iguodala was on how many of those teams? Five. Five. And then the previous four years before the Warriors made it, the Heat had been in the finals. So if the Heat make the finals, it would continue the streak of the Heat or Andre Iguodala <laughs> being in what would be, what, ten straight finals pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Because, so I, that's kind of one of the underrated storylines I read. That is. I, 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 Just a weird little thing that I feel like that's kind of a quirky. I like, never oh. really thought about that. But yeah, so Iguodala or the Heat have been in the finals pretty much the last, like, nine years, which that is pretty fun. Which is more than LeBron. <laughs> yeah, so but, pretty much if you're on the Heat or Andre Iguodala, you're better than LeBron. You're better than LeBron. That, that, that's the, what we're getting at there. So Jay Crowder or, or whoever, you're fine. But, yeah, no. Uh, and then let's jump over because you said you were talking about how Jason Tatum can get into the status of being a guy where any team he goes to could be a championship contender. Well, I think there's a guy in the NBA right now that any team he would be on would be a championship contender. His name is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Very hard to pronounce last name. And he just we're kind of getting used to it now. Just, the more he rises in prominence, really, I think it's very easy for me to pronounce at this point. But I can understand still having blips with it, and messing it up. But he just unfollowed every single person on the Milwaukee Bucks and the Bucks official Instagram. So Giannis kind of purged his Instagram, his social media from any connections with the Bucks. He just pretty much follows his brothers, his wife, his mom, and a few a few more people. I forget who. He's at like eight or nine people that he follows at this point. Do you? Weigh, like, what do you? How much do you weigh into that as Giannis wants out, or do you think it's meaningless? He's just trying to clean up his social media. What, like, cause what do you think of that? How well, do you I wouldn't consider that cleaning up your social media. 
right? Like he's obviously friends with people on with with his team with some of his teammates, I would think. So unfollowing everybody's a little is not a little. It is odd. Um, but the thing is, is that we've seen kind of this year, I think more than any, Giannis has kind of emerged as can be a drama queen sometimes. A he can be bit, a little yeah. bit of a diva. And I think that came with the MVP. That came with his rise to superstardom, like you said. Any team he could be on could be considered a championship contender. I don't. I mean, I wasn't going to predict that Giannis leaving Milwaukee was going to happen this offseason. I thought he would at least give it another year. And it's. And I don't want to overreact by saying that that's going to happen for sure. But man, when something like this happens, especially with how prominent social media is nowadays, with how athletes say a lot that predict that that talk about their future on social media. You know, there's been a lot of, uh, there's always been teases, and that, and it's used for that. So I don't know what to make of this. And the obvious finger point of what it is, is that he's unhappy. I, I mean, he, he unfollowed everyone on social media. I don't know. And then, and, he, and, met, and, and then the, he met with Buck's ownership to talk about his future and the franchise's future the, the following day. It's I'm definitely worried about the future in Milwaukee because I, I would be if I was a Bucks fan. The other the, the, the other thing is is that even if even if this isn't a sign of him wanting to get out of Milwaukee, and it's a sign of him saying like, "Oh, my teammates are saying that I quit on him." You know, I had the I was I had a ankle sprain and I couldn't get play in a game and I didn't finish a game. Maybe his teammates were mad at him, and so he fired back by doing this. But that still makes him unhappy in Milwaukee, which increases the chance more of him not, you know, of him not being in Milwaukee next season. Oh, yeah. I I would say the other thing I worry about with Milwaukee is they're an old team. It's not like Milwaukee's some young team that's like, uh-huh. oh, we're going to get there. It's, uh-huh. they've got, they're George old. Hill, they're one of the Brooke oldest Lopez, teams in the league. Robin Lopez, Kyle Korver, er, Ersan Ilyasova. They're not young. No, they're not, like, not by any means. Giannis that, is their youngest player. I, I know that they don't have a lot of guys that are proven winners, so it's kind of, it's kind of like them in the playoffs. It's like, oh, we're taking the right steps. But the thing is, Whenever you're in your 30s, you can't necessarily be taking the steps to being a championship player whenever you're about to... The next year, the, the likelihood of you being worse as a player is is high. Like, you're probably going to be worse as a player than you were the previous year. So I think that's one of the big things. I think this Bucks team is old. Giannis is clearly unhappy. I don't think Mike Budenholzer knows how to coach in the playoffs. He doesn't play the best player in the league I've never minutes. I've never considered Mike Budenholzer a good coach. He's a good regular season coach. He can get the Hawks 60 wins. He can get Giannis the MVP Defensive Player of the Year. But whenever you're in a playoff series where you're down and you don't play a guy like Giannis, the MVP Defensive Player of the Year, you don't play him for more than 30 minutes, 32 minutes in a game where you it's elimination, it's just mind-boggling that Back it's not, and it's not. It's not even. Line, a, you don't even play them. It's not even a minutes restriction. And if it is, why? <laughs> it's. It's literally just because he doesn't understand Sometimes, how the game plays the, the thing. postseason. Sometimes with these physical specimens that we've seen in the NBA now, guys like Giannis, guys like Zion, you might be able to put LeBron into that discussion. I think LeBron's more balanced as a player, at least how he looks. But some of these guys now that their bodies are unusual, right? Like Giannis is. We've never seen a six eleven bulked up guy be like be play like him right so maybe early in his career there could be a load management at factor there zion they talk about how heavy he is but how much weight he carries for how short he still is and that could be a concern for body issues in his legs and whatnot but i don't see a weight or a, or a a management issue a minutes restriction issue with Giannis. No, I don't. I it's it's just. Do you weird. get what I'm saying? I, I like Giannis. No, I, get, I don't consider Giannis a minutes restriction type player, but Giannis is maybe that's it. I don't it, know. Giannis is like in the prime of his physical life, and he's literally just coming off an MVP, Defensive Player of the Year season, where he stayed healthy the and, whole time. And you're not going to play him for 40 minutes. You see guys like that overtime game against the Raptors, the double overtime Raptors Celtics. You get guys like Daniel Tice played 47 minutes. They're playing close to 50 minutes in Giannis in a regular game, not even overtime. You're afraid to play him more than half an hour. Come on. The way that Budenholzer just blew that series for the Bucs, I think, because Giannis it was it was partially on him. Budenholzer's facial expressions, though, throughout was hysterical. Giannis on the court for 40-plus minutes in that series could legitimately change the outcome of what happens. Cause and Giannis did have his struggles in that Heat he, series. He struggled, but he was still pretty solid. It's yeah, not like he would he, still have like, like was, 18, 10, and 9, It's not which like Giannis completely disappeared. It's just he wasn't quite at that MVP He was more level, quiet than he usually is. But he was still a really good player. I think that was the most confusing thing. So I think this Bucks team, they have a lot of reflecting to do before they head into next season. Because I think 
You have an unhappy Giannis. Budenholzer clearly doesn't know how to coach in the postseason. An aging team. It, I think there's a lot of issues out there in Milwaukee. I couldn't agree with you more. And, I, and, I, and it stinks that it comes from Instagram. But here we are. You know that, like I said, that is just how everything is being portrayed now. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel like it's just a very difficult situation for management, for everyone to be involved in with the way the Bucks franchise is because it looked so promising last year, you know, to, up 2-0 in the Eastern Conference Finals. It looked very promising. And with the way the Warriors got injured, you think, hey, that could be a ring right there for Giannis. And here we are now with Giannis. We're talking, where does he end up? He still has a year left on the contract, and we're saying, where's this guy going to end up? So I think that's one of the tougher situations in the NBA to just know that management and everything it's kind of gone downhill for where it was supposed to be and it's i mean it's just tough to see a franchise like that that in a smaller market too have so much upside like how the thunder did kind of fall apart right before your eyes and you hate to see it but i mean it happens in sports all the time and the thing is that the thunder were able to recover so quickly because they're still young they still had a good young core and they got a good bit of young pieces and pieces that are going to help them in the future like draft picks shea gilgis alexander dennis schroeder stuff guys like him and so the, the the Thunder are in a better position than the Bucks. If the Bucks lose Giannis, they're bad. They're, they're bad. They're in trouble. Because I, who's their best player? Brooke Lopez. Chris Middleton, probably. Okay, yeah, I forgot about him. But, but, but still, Chris Middleton is your number one? Chris Come Middleton on. is, a, is a shaky third best player on a championship I, if team. He's, I think if he's your third best player, you're You've in got shape. a chance. If he's You've your second best player, yeah. you better hope your first best player is really good, which Giannis is in that category of, Really good. And then if Chris Middleton's your best player, whew, good luck. At best, you're a 500 team. At best. Yeah. And in the regular in season. In the East, yeah. that can maybe snag you the 8 seed or 7 seed. So they could still maybe make the playoffs without Giannis next but year. But they shouldn't kid themselves because they're saying, oh, we're still making the playoffs without Giannis. You know, they, they can't kid themselves. Yeah. They have to. I, in that case, I'm sorry, you blow the whole thing up. Oh, because yeah. Because Middleton exactly. isn't. Because you could get something for Middleton at least. Trade him you can't somewhere t- that needs you couldn't a third tell option. me. Hold on, you couldn't tell me that Middleton could be a real could be a good third piece for the Mavericks or exactly. the Heat or the Celtics could use him as a shooter or whoever. Some contender would the Lakers. The, the Lakers would love Chris Middleton. There is an endless amount of teams that would say, "Yeah, Chris Middleton for us, we'll take that." Especially if you're in in the stage where you're. And you can't tell me that's not worth a first round pick, which that's oh, what the Bucks would sure need is. if you're going to rebuild. Oh, it's definitely what they would need. So I think the Bucks have a lot of self-reflecting to do. But it's about time for us to wrap it up. WCYJFM is going to be handed over Darn. to Riley Holsinger for an hour. Get to have a nice little air shift with Riley. But thanks for joining us with a little bit of NBA talk. Next week, we will be previewing a few conference finals games. We'll find out finally what happens with this Nuggets versus Clippers series. So stay tuned for WCYJFM for Points in the Paint. I'm Matt Mansfield alongside Ed DiOrio. Join us on WCYJ every week to talk basketball. We'll be back next week. And I'm going to say it, Ed. Go Nuggets. Go Nuggets in Game 7. I'm pulling for them. We'll see. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Points in the Paint podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe for more. And check out some of our other shows from the WCYJ podcast network. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play.